Joining us right now, a guy who's been extremely busy. He goes straight from uh, being the architect of the offseason for your Sacramento Kings to talking to us uh, right now on the phone, the one the only, Monty McNair, general manager of your Sacramento Kings. Monty, it's Dave. How are you? I'm good. I feel like uh, I feel like we've been kind of teleporting in time here, right? We went from like what should have been like June 22nd to July 10th, and now we're like in early October, uh, all in a matter of like days. So um, it's been a crazy year, crazy off season, but we are excited to uh, to see the team on the floor here, hopefully soon. Well, let's start with that, and I'm sure the whole interview could be taken up with this question, but just top of your head, this this is your first. Uh, you know, you've been around the game forever. It's your first shot in the in, in the big chair, if you will. And boy, what a year you picked! Um, so when it comes to this truncated, <laughs> is an understatement off season. What is it that really sticks out to you? Crazy different uh, as opposed to if if this was a normal season. Yeah, I mean, I think there's you know there's a few things that you know for at least me and my group in particular that that's different. You know. I think the obvious one is is the compressed time frame um, and and just going from one thing to another without the normal uh, gaps in there to prepare. Um, but then adding on top of that, obviously my first uh, time in, like you said, in the in the captain's chair, and then also trying to get a new group together. We got four or five new faces, yeah. Um, you know, trying to fold in together, uh, and then on top of that, all of this in the middle of a pandemic. So, um, you know, it's been it's certainly been crazy. It feels like, um, you know, we kind of hit the simulate off season button in NBA 2K or something. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think like credit to our staff. They've been incredible. Uh, both the guys that, um, that were already here, um, that have done great work and as well as the new faces that I brought in. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're excited for where things are at and, and ready to see what they look like, uh, actually on the floor here. So last time we talked was obviously another whirlwind for you. You had been brought on as the new GM. Uh, you were you were talking to all the media, just kind of hadn't even come close to settling in yet. So uh, between then and between now, has it just been this tornado of uh, scouting reports and, and and draft work and free agent work? I mean, really, what has <laughs> what has your life been like? What is it the last month or so? Yeah, no, it's been. Uh... It has been one thing after another, um, you know, in Houston, um, we didn't have a, a draft pick. So, and we were in the middle of a, a, the playoffs, um, in the bubble. And so most of my focus was on that and starting here and we had the 12th pick and, and three second rounders. So just diving in, um, uh, to all the reports, um, and, and watching video and trying to get up to speed on what the, the pandemic off season was going to look like uh, for the draft. And then, um, you know, just a few days later, the, the, the free agency period opens. So, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a whirlwind, but it's also been, you know, everything that we've done is pretty much something that we're all used to. It's just, uh, it's just a little different, a little faster, but, uh, you know, I think our group was well prepared and, um, you know, I think hopefully we came out of it, um, you know, in a good spot. Monty, uh, we, when we talked originally, I told you I'm a huge fan of, of Daryl Morey's and we, Became friends when uh, when he acquired Ron Artest out of here, and uh, he, he, I like him. He, I I love him as a GM. I, I I dig him as a person. And I was reading a Reddit he did the other day, one of those Ask Me Anything's, and the first question uh, involved you. And uh, I forgot, did he call it? I think the Monty McNair principle. 
but he was he it wasn't the first time he'd spoken about this because I remember reading about you reading about this. I think he said something at the Sloan conference. But the the idea of it was basically you've got people in fantasy leagues that will, you know, I, I'm gonna trade my my you know, I want your three awesome guys and I'm gonna give you my three scrubs, and boy does that sound great. And trades never go anywhere. And your philosophy, if I'm getting it right, was Put yourself in the shoes of the other team. But work the trade out that way. Role play it on either side before you even offer it. Is that something that you still, I would assume, very much adhere to? Yeah, I mean, I, it's. Uh, <laughs> I like that Daryl's giving me credit. I, I don't think this is Full anything credit. groundbreaking, <laughs> but um, but what? Yeah, basically, uh, not to get too nerdy, but you know, I think we all suffer from you know, the endowment effect of, of overvaluing something you have and, and conversely undervaluing something that's not in your possession. Um, you know, I think uh, it, it's certainly a huge thing in, in basketball and trades. And so a lot of what we do is try to remove that by just reversing the trade. If we, you know, they're offering player A for player B and you're like, I don't know, but if you flipped it and you said, well, if we had player B, would we trade for player A? And you're like, well, we would, you know, there's no way we would do that. That kind of gives you a better perspective on, on the deal. And so you try to look at it from both angles, like you said, um, so that you, you at least remove as much as you can of, of those biases. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, I think most teams, it's just a natural, a natural thing um, that, uh, that people suffer from. And uh, to make better decisions, we try to eliminate it if we can. All right, and then before we get into the specifics of the offseason, you said you don't want to get too nerdy. Too late here. I'm going to ask you a nerdy-based question. <laughs> uh, we, we were talking about this uh, the other morning on the show. So current or former Kings, Frank Mason, Chris Weber, Harry Giles, Glenn Robinson, your newest signing, Ben McLemore, Frank Kaminsky, Marvin Bagley, they all have something in common other than being NBA players or current or ex-Kings. They're all thirds. They're all thirds. They're all Marvin Bagley the third or Glenn Robinson the third. And we were trying to figure out, is there actually a record kept somewhere where you can research based on thirds that have been or are currently in the league? Because i got to think the Kings are very close to, if not breaking the record, for the most players on their roster that were thirds. So you basically helped invent, In my, this is my mind now, you, you talked about overvaluing your, 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 your guys. I, I value you tremendously. So in my mind, you helped invent analytics in every computer program ever. Do you think there's a way somewhere out there where we would be able to search and find out if we have broken the record for most thirds on a roster? I, I told you I wasn't going to get into any of our state secrets, but you already figured <laughs> you already figured one out. I knew it. Uh, I knew it. So, and uh, and and shout out as well to uh, one of our scouts, uh, former NBA player and college star AC Law the Fourth. Yes. Um, so yeah, we uh, as as many um, Roman numerals as you can get uh, after your name uh, is is a huge indicator for success, but. Uh, um, no, that that is funny. I had not even noticed that. I think Robert Woodard is is uh, the second. Okay. Um, so you know he's he's almost there. I guess we'll have to draft his son right uh, at some point down the line. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the guys on there. This, this is a very this is a tough question to ask you. I'm being serious now because I I, I know this is where things get a little bit sticky. You're, you're aware of the um the the bond that Harry Giles, who, by the way, was a third, uh, had with the community. And one of the real 
talking points throughout the season, Monty, was uh, because the Kings and your 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 previous regime there uh, didn't pick up the option, there was a limitation, there was a handcuff to what could be offered to Harry. So all year long, the idea or the question was, was well, when the time comes, um, will the Kings, you know, will his market rate be there? Could they offer him uh, uh, an amount to keep him um and when it when we found out what he got with Portland, um, it, it looks like unless I'm missing something that there there was the ability to retain him at least financially, but there was something else there. And I would never ask you to disparage former player. Uh, I I would never ask you to, to spill state secrets. But if you wouldn't mind helping us close the book on Harry, was it just simply a maybe a playing time thing, a camp thing? He felt he'd do better somewhere else. Thing we we just kind of wanted to close the book on Harry with the Kings and how that that separation really occurred. Yeah, no, I mean I think Harry uh, certainly a, a fan favorite, and um, you know I think did some some really good things here in Sacramento. Um, you know, for us, we, we evaluated him along with the rest of the free agent class, and he's certainly a talent. And uh, you know, we we wish him the best uh, in Portland. But um, but ultimately, how things shook out, you know, we were we were excited to add the guys we did, especially you know, Hassan brings I think just a different dimension, um, you know, at the at the center spot, um, at the big man spot. And so, um, you know, obviously, uh, thank Harry for all, for all he did and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know the Sacramento fans love him, but, uh, you know, ultimately we just ended up going a different direction. Monty McDair with us. Uh, Monty, I'm, I am curious, again, uh, state secrets are a thing, I get it, but if you wouldn't mind even even just being uh, non uh, macro, not micro, where was Tyrese Halliburton on your big board, and did you have any indication that he'd slip to you at 12? Yeah, Tyrese, um, you know, I think uh, one of the top talents in the draft, I think uh, fair to say we had him uh, well above 12 on our board. Um, I think for us, um, he checks a lot of the boxes for how we want to build this team and how we want to play, his versatility on both ends. I think he can shoot and pass and handle. He can even offensive rebound on the offensive end. And then defensively, he can guard multiple positions, uh, great activity, we talk about creating defensive events, right? Steals and blocks and just disrupting the offense. Um, you know, and I, I think that's really what's exciting about what he brings, um, what he to bring on both ends. Did did you feel like you also, I mean, listen, this, this is a team that at the time of the draft had, uh, you know, obviously uh, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Buddy Heald, uh, Bogey. Um, there, there was already uh, backcourt time there. And I think when you and I spoke, you said two things, basically. One was uh, you, you want to kind of maintain that timeline uh, and flexibility uh, with De'Aaron Fox and his timeline. But then also, which a lot of fans were really happy to hear, um, best player available, that, that, that this was uh, your philosophy was really with the where you're trying to go and where the Kings are now, best player available. So it was it less fit, although I'm sure that that factored, and more best player available. What was the thought process going in when you found somebody that was already going to be part of that backcourt? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, best player available is is certainly our kind of leading uh, driver of what we're looking to do in the draft, especially you know when you're talking about younger players, um, you know, players with a little more upside who also. Um, you know, you, you, you hope are with you for a long time. And so you don't necessarily know what your team will look like, uh, you know, down the road. And so you just want to take the best talent and, 
and hope they can they can fit in. I think we were lucky in Tyrese's case that he was also, uh, in in a lot of ways, a, a perfect match for for how we want to play. Um, I think he played on one of the fastest faster teams in the country. Um, you know, he was he was this year kind of the driving force behind their offense. Um, and like I said already, like his versatility on defense uh, really ties into how we want to play. So we were lucky there, but uh, but yeah, we ultimately want. Uh, first and foremost, talent. I mean, that doesn't mean we don't factor in other things, but sure. that's kind of the the baseline that we start from, and really try to try to stick to that as much as we can. I wanted to kick around a philosophy question with you. We we've been kind of going back and forth for a while now because of the pandemic and the way it's changed so many things. And in, in, in the the philosophy we've kind of adopted is that this draft may turn out four or five years down the road, if that long, to be a draft where. Oh my goodness! There, there were a lot of players picked all over the place that ended up being all stars. Generally, you know, it's your higher picks, but in this draft, because of the goofy scouting, the lack of a college basketball season, in-person workouts for the most part, that this was going to be a draft that really, really relied a lot on uh, numbers, uh, eye tests, a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't have relied as strongly on in the past. To you, is there anything to that? Are we overthinking that a bit, or do you think this draft is is going to see stars come from all over the place? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, you know, it was actually a pretty normal uh, draft year in the fact that we got most of the season of the college season done. Uh, most of our scouts were able to see all the guys live. Um, and then you, you know, if anything, you just had more time to, to watch video and, and things like that. Obviously the, the virtual combine and some of those things as you got uh, closer to the draft were different. Um, but I do think, yeah, it, it was for whatever reason, it was, it was a little bit of a, a different draft. Um, you know, certainly you just look at the very top, right. You got, one guy um, who played, I think, three or four games in college and another who played less than 10 yeah. um, overseas. And, and that in and of itself makes it tougher to evaluate guys. But, um, but yeah, it did seem like a draft where the divergence of teams' opinions started earlier. And uh, I think that could mean that um, you certainly could, um, you know, could see some stars or really good players go later in the draft. And, uh, you know, in our case, hopefully – Hopefully we found three of them, um, but uh, it's it's one of those things you never know. But I, I do agree there there could be a little bit of a, a uniqueness to this draft down the line. And as Monty McNair joins us, one more quick philosophy question for you. And forgive me, I just like picking your brain and a lot of the dumb ideas we throw around on the show. It's nice to talk to somebody who, you know, knows what they're talking about. Um, we... I, I, my parents went to Florida State University. I am a diehard FSU fan, and I've watched, I promise you, probably more FSU basketball than, than most people you'd, you'd know. And I've, I've, there were a couple of FSU kids, uh, in the draft, um, one of which was kind of maybe right around where we were. FSU kids worry me, and it has nothing to do with the kid. Leonard Hamilton is, to me, one of the best college coaches in the United States. And, um, he gets the most out of the least uh, year after year after year, but he also has a very specific system he runs in, a very specific system. He's got, he's got the, the big guy down low, a ton of wings, speedy guard, and when you look at the history of Florida State draftees, with the exception of maybe Jonathan Isaac, who, uh, who's had a ton of injuries, it's not fair to him, um, what they do in college does not always translate to pros. I'm not going to ask you about specific draft picks there. It wouldn't be fair. But I am curious, when you're scouting, when you're looking at numbers, do you factor in at all uh, the system 
that the coach runs and the history of players that come out of that system as kind of a way to either see through to hidden talent or maybe to uh, to dull some of the hype coming out about talent because of their numbers. Does that factor in at all, or is that just noise to you? Well, uh, first, uh, at the very beginning, thanks for um, thanks for at least pretending that I, that uh, I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I hope so. I will give I will give credit to our our group. You know, they they do a great job. But um, but that's a great question, and I think one that maybe is a misconception of, of how quote unquote analytics are used. That it's just the spreadsheet of numbers, and we take the, the guy on top after we sort. Um, but so much of it is the context, like you said, and that's where really the, we rely so heavily on our, our scouts for, to provide that context, right? So at some level, you know, the limitation of your scouts is that they can't watch the 5,000 games um, that go on in college every year, whatever the number is. Uh, and the limitation of, of the numbers is that they can see all 5,000 games, but but at a very, very superficial level. And so it's all about merging those two together. And you're talking about, you talk about FSU, you talk about the Syracuse zone, you talk about um, certain coaches that, uh, that, you know, play fast or play slow or are ball dominant, uh, you know, defensively like press or trap, all these things that can distort the numbers. And so it's really a back and forth. Uh, and that's a huge part of our draft process and, uh, and trying to find the truth. And when when we have certain numbers and we have what our scouts' eyes are seeing and trying to figure out uh, where the discrepancies lie and, and why they exist, um, you know, I think that's that's really the, the secret sauce. And and that's what that's what hopefully makes the best decisions. But you absolutely need that. Um, otherwise, if you're just looking at one or the other, I think you're flying blind a little bit. Monty McNair with us as we begin to wrap up here. Monty, I'm just going to head fake to the, uh, the the potential deal you had with a certain Eastern Conference team because uh, I don't know what's going on there, and I don't want to cost anybody any money. But I want to ask you overall about Bogdan Bogdanovich as well. Um, you know, we can get into specifics all day, keep him, let him go. Obviously, there was a want to flip him for assets, um, but at the same time, what, what I tried to do on the show, at least, and what a lot of fans have talked about and written about on, on, on the various sites was that it, it's a little bit, it's not, no, nobody has a, uh, <laughs> nobody can, uh, collects NBA cards with cap flexibility uh, as the player. It's, it's, nobody has a poster on their wall with cap flexibility in an action shot. Um, but for somebody sitting in your position, uh, although on the surface it looks like a player left with nothing in return, per se, um, how important is it to the overall chessboard for you to maintain that flexibility? And do you consider that uh, maybe as much as an as- uh, of an asset as, as, as certain roster positions, in fact? Yeah, no, we, uh, yeah, we certainly looked at, at all our options. Uh, Bo- Bogdan's a, a great player. Um, I think all, all Kings fans know and saw that and uh we obviously wish him the best of luck uh especially when he plays the the 28 other teams in the league but uh yeah i think he's he's certainly uh you know a great versatile player for us it came down to you know ultimately our decision was was on an offer sheet um to match or not and you know we, we spent the we had almost uh, 72 hours or so to uh to kind of dig in and and really look at it and we we kind of looked at it from every angle um and uh, there's a lot that goes that goes into that and like you said ultimately we came back to 
you know, um, the, the flexibility that this gives us. And I know, like you said, yeah, there's no posters on the wall for cat flexibility, but eventually we can turn, turn that into, into players, into talent. And that's, that's our goal. And, and the question was, do we think that uh, that flexibility gives us the chance to make the team even better in the future? And, and, uh, and ultimately that was the decision we made. And, um, you know, like I talked about, I think the first time I was on, we don't know when all these opportunities are going to come up. Um, but we need to put ourselves in the best position to capitalize when they do. And I, we all hope it's sooner rather than later, uh, but there's no shortcuts. We can't force it. All you can do is be prepared. Um, you know, I, I don't want to keep pointing back to Houston, but that's unfortunately the only team I've, sure. I've been on in the past. And sure. we didn't know, we didn't know it was going to be James Harden um, when we, when we made that trade a while ago, but we in the position that we could, um, we had the assets, we had the flexibility, we had the players under contract uh, whenever that big trade came up. And, you know, our goal here is those same situations um, and be able to capitalize when the time comes. And uh, and that's that's what ultimately led to our decision there. I, I used a sloppy metaphor on the show when, when talking about, you know, grade the, grade the move. But the idea was it's almost impossible to grade that move. It would be like grading a, a chess match five moves in. Um, somebody loses their night and you, you grade it. Well, maybe that set up something down the road. Is that accurate? It's, this is an, this is, this is an, this is not a completed picture yet when it comes to transactions like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think our, and it almost never will be, um, you know, it's, it's just about, are you, uh, you know, can you put yourself in a better spot, uh, ultimately down the road? And I think like I talked about the first time we were on here, like, you know, our goal I know, I know Kings fans are itching for a playoff team and it's been uh, a long time and, and, you know, we certainly feel that, but our goal is sustained winning and sustained, yep. sustained success. And, um, you know, we don't want to, um, compromise that, um, you know, until the time is, is ready. And so, you know, ultimately that's, that's the lens at which we look through all these decisions. And like you said, it's not, it's not a finished product. Like, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's there's still the ability to sign and trade for players um, all the way through the trade deadline and even after for signing. So we're constantly looking, and this year I think could be even even crazier than most um, in in the the types of uh, opportunities that come up and and the depth and things that like that that you need. And so um, you know, this allows us to be really opportunistic, um, you know, as those things present themselves uh, down the line. Monty McNair with us. Monty, we're going to have a, uh, a national guy, a national writer on tomorrow. And one of the things he said today uh, was, maybe it was yesterday, he said that the most shocking move of the offseason was not the Gordon Hayward sign and trade. The most shocking move of the offseason was the Sacramento Kings getting Glenn Robinson III, who had offers from other teams, uh, apparently including the Lakers and Clippers, to to join the Kings. And not only join the Kings, but join on the, the, the contract that he joined. Um when you're when you're talking, because I want to move on to Hassan Whiteside in a second too. But when you're talking to a guy like Glenn Robinson, who obviously has suitors, really uh, as, as much as you're willing to share, what's the pitch to somebody like that? And obviously, that pitch worked really well. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, can't talk specifically about Glenn yet, as we haven't uh, formally ah, announced. But, gotcha. but what I but what I can say is, um, and I think it applies to to some of the other guys that we signed, and, and what we're seeing is. Um, you know, I think, uh, 
De'Aaron and, and uh, Marvin and Buddy and and all and Harrison, all these guys, um, I think players see the talent. And then I think they also see uh, the opportunity to, to get into a system that, that Luke and now um, Coach Gentry and, and Coach uh, Rex Kalamian are implementing. And they like that vision. Um, and I think they see that that's, that's the way the NBA is going. And, and hopefully we'll – you know, we'll be uh, at the forefront of that. And so I think that's where um, we've had success. Um, and hopefully we can continue to prove that on the floor uh, and capitalize on that in, you know, in future transactions where, where guys want to come and play here. And we're, it's, it's exciting to see that already uh, bearing fruit. Well, faux pas on my part. I've been in the business long enough. That's right. Monty can't speak on, on specifics until they're signed. One guy I know was announced was Hassan Whiteside, originally drafted by Sacramento in the DeMarcus Cousins draft, I think back in 2010. And boys, he had a road, you know, played in Lebanon at one point, comes back, obviously has had a career, Miami, Portland, et cetera. Um, the Kings fans know Hassan Whiteside pretty well just from when he was drafted and then continuing to follow that career. And there's the highs and the lows with Hassan. But but here's the bottom line. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was something like 15.5 points, 13.5 boards, and a league-leading 2.9 blocks. And you got him on a one-year minimum deal. That, that on the surface is an absolute steal of a contract to bring in a guy who, who I presume will be uh, a backup. Who knows? Um, but on that type of deal. So, again, I assume that philosophy we just talked about factors in there when you're you're pitching guys to come to Sacramento. In the past, not a lot of luck getting guys like that to land here. But, again, obviously it worked for him. Yeah, and I think um, that's, you know, Hassan I think is is obviously an incredible talent and, and is, you know, both in – uh, Miami uh, and Portland kind of kind of shown what he can do, and and so we were you know I think lucky that that he fell to that um, to that spot, and he brings something that uh, that every team's looking for, right? Rim protection, uh, the ability to rebound the ball on both ends, uh, finish at the rim. I mean that we always talk about versatility within a player, but really it's it's versatility within your whole roster and and the optionality that it provides and. Uh, on a night in night out basis, you know, it just gives Luke, you know, it, it's going to be really hard for a team to, uh, to be too big for us, uh, when you have Hassan on the bench. And so, um, you know, the ability to, to kind of plug him in. And, and I think the other thing that I've talked about with him is when you have a rim protector like that, the, it's not just that he blocks shots when guys get to the rim. It gives the rest of your defense the ability to like be more aggressive on the perimeter to feel like they can get up into a guy because you know they have that guy behind them, and so I think it just makes the rest of your defense uh, better and more aggressive, which we want to be as well. Which leads to my last question. Uh, I've gotten to know Luke over the last couple of years. Great dude. Uh, obviously, he's got a ton of challenges this year, uh, and and you coming in here so quickly. I, I'm, I'm curious, and I'll, I'll give you the part B of the question after your answer. Um, with the whirlwind and tornado we've talked about, uh, have you had much of a chance, really, we don't know, to uh, kind of mind meld with Luke uh, and the staff get get on that page and, and, and really get that kind of organizational philosophy that's going to spill over onto the floor? Have you had much of a chance to be able to do that yet? Yeah, no, it's been great, actually. We've had a lot of time to, um, you know, in between all the craziness of the off season uh, to, to really just sit down and, and talk a little bit, uh, both about the roster and, and how we want to play. And, you know, I think we're, we're really aligned. And I think the, the other big part of that is I've, I've talked, you know, about 
the staff that I was able to bring in to support me and, and you're only as good as the people around you. And uh, I think Luke thinks the same thing and, and we're really excited about uh, the new faces joining the old faces on the coaching staff mm-hmm. and what they're going to be able to, uh, to implement. I mean, uh, for, for Alvin, um, you know, a, a long history of success is as both a head and assistant coach, um, especially with the style of play we want. And, uh, and Rex has been on, on many fantastic teams and captains, some, some really good defenses. Um, and the energy that he brings, I hope will be infectious uh, to our players because that's how we want to play on the floor. So uh, I think, you know, we've had a lot of time to talk. We'll have even more uh, coming in uh, to training camp here in a few days. And um, so we're excited to, to actually see all the stuff uh, get implemented on, onto, the, onto the floor. All right, which leads to my, my last question, which really feeds off of that, Monty. Um, when, when, you, when you read about some of the signings, and, and Kings fans, I think you figured out, are, are pretty savvy and also, although so impatient because we, we want to get in the playoffs, also understanding. Uh, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but from my perspective, I think from most Kings fans' perspective, uh, we're, not, we're not being a playoff contender this year. This is a, <laughs> we're, we're, we're building, as you said, slow and steady. And I think as long as there's a plan and, and it's apparent that it's being followed, Kings fans are, are, are very, very patient and, and very on board for the most part. When we, when we see signings like that, let's take us on, for example, a guy who, um, a, a guy who obviously has those numbers or anybody else, for example. I, I imagine there's some sort of philosophy there in some room somewhere between coaching staff and front office between, obviously they're going to go out and want to win every single game. Players don't tank, coaches don't tank, nobody's tanking, okay? Everyone wants to win every single game possible. But then there's also that we need to get this young guy in this position to understand how to win in this position down the road. How much of a juggle is it for you and for the coaching staff to be on that same page, understanding we want to win every single game, but we also want to develop our youth and make sure that those minutes being used in, for example, clutch situations are minutes that are not only going to benefit us in the fourth quarter of this specific game, but are going to benefit us next year and the year after with the players that are, again, on that De'Aaron Fox timeline that seems to be kind of the run-through for the whole organization. How how do you juggle that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, first and foremost, um, you know, you, you need to establish your winning foundation um, you know, regardless of your timeline. And so, you know, we need to compete, you know, really hard every night. That's, you know, you can't win this league without that. We need to lay the groundwork for our offensive and defensive schemes. Um, all these winning habits uh, is step one. And we need to do that regardless of, of um, you know, where we are in our, in our timeline. Well, even veteran players to develop, but guys develop by, um, you know, by being competitive and, and being in games. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's not just minutes. You can't just be out there for minutes. And so we need, we need a mixture of guys who are, um, you know, b- both like stylistically as well as, um, you know, age uh, related, all those things. And so for our guys to develop, we need, we need to have, uh, you know, proven winners around them. We need guys who can uh, complement their skill set. Um, and really, it's just about getting all those pieces together, laying that groundwork, and then, you know, the winning will eventually follow. That's, um, you know, I think that's how we look at it. That is Kings General Manager Monty McNair. Obviously, he's been very busy, and in the middle of the, all of that, 
Uh, he gives us way too much time. One of these days, you know, you can always say, I just, you're not going to offend me. You can always say, Monty, dude, uh, you're asking too many questions. Shut up. I got to go. Uh, you're always very kind with your time, and we appreciate you joining us. No, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on, as always. All right, take care. That is Monty McNair. We will be right back.